You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. This is Joe Udo. And this is Doc G. And today we're going to earn and invest by retiring by 40. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. This is the Rewind Week here on Earn and Invest. On Monday, we had our episode about whether money will make you happy. And for this episode, we're going to talk about Retire by 40. That's right. Joe Udo, he is a blogger who I've been following for years. In fact, it might be that he is one of the OG bloggers about personal finance. He started writing about money back in 2012. This was back in the early retirement extreme era, as well as just about the time that Mr. Money Mustache was getting going. And Joe's a really interesting guy. I was really excited to have him on the show. We talk a lot about proof of concept, this idea that you can earn enough money and retire early. It all sounds great in theory, but is it actually possible? A lot of people feel that it isn't. And in fact, when I go out into the world and I talk to people about personal finance, I mention this idea of financial independence. I talk to them about FU money and this idea of having enough money to be stable or even at some point leave your job. I get a lot of incredulity, right? They're like, there's no way I could make enough money and save enough money to either retire early or at least cut back on work or maybe follow my passion. And as much as I explain the math, even if I get the spreadsheets out, even if I spend all that time trying to convince them that the numbers work, it goes against basic human nature to believe that one could become financially independent, that one could stop working so easily. So what you really need is proof of concept. What we really need is people in our community who have done this and not just done it, but done it well and done it over years. So it's really easy to say, oh, I retired in 2019 and now it's 2020. Well, that's been a year or half a year and who knows, maybe I'll have to go back to work next year or maybe my finances will fall flat or my investments will go bad. But it's a lot harder to say that when you have someone who's been doing this since 2012, who left their job, who formed a financial base, who continues to invest, make a little money on the side, but is living their life. That is proof of concept. And 
if you don't have proof of concept, you're unlikely to believe that this difficult thing is possible. Because your average Joe or Jane, your average person out there, just doesn't believe that it's possible to live this life and lifestyle, to manage your finances in such a way that they don't become a hindrance into your life, but instead become a platform, a springboard to do those things you want to do. So I'm really excited to rewind this episode with Joe Udo. We talk about his blog. We talk about his path to financial independence. We talk about taking care of his mother and being part of the sandwich generation. It's a really good conversation, and I'm really excited to play it for you again. Just a reminder, this was recorded a year ago. So obviously, all those things going on right now, like the pandemic, coronavirus, the economic recession, we weren't in those times. So you have to remember that some of this recording is timely. Take a listen, see what you think. So, Paul Thompson, what's up next? Hey, Doc, I'm really excited about today's episode because we're not doing a panel. We're going to do a little bit deeper dive with Joe Udo from Retire by 40. And I'm intrigued by this conversation because I happen to retire, air quote, by 40 as well. And I don't know why exactly, because there is something about that number that we get into and we strive for, but I don't know what the reason behind that is. So we're going to kind of pull on that thread a little bit with Joe and just hear more about his story. So Joe, would you mind giving us a quick introduction about yourself, please? Sure. My name is Joe Udo and I blog at Retired by 40. I've been blogging since 2010. So it's been a while now. Now I stopped working full-time in 2012 and I've been a stay-at-home dad and I blog on the side. So, Joe, I'm interested in the title of your blog. As Paul was talking about, we see a lot of blogs or podcasts named Retire By or Free At, and then they put an age there. For you, was 40 randomly like the next big age you were coming to, or did it have more significance than that? Honestly, Retire By 40, it just sounded catchy to me, you know, because I was working one day in my cubicle and I was reading some personal finance blog and it just popped into my head. You know, retired by 40, I knew I got something right away. And I was 36 at that time. So it, it was the next milestone for me. So at the age of 36, you were looking forward and felt that your time course was such that you could get it all together in four years? Yeah, that, it gave me four years and you know I've been saving and investing for a long time. So four years wasn't too short. You know, it was okay. When you started thinking about writing this blog at the age of 36, were you looking at a huge number of life changes in order to build a life in which you could be financially independent? Or were you already practicing frugality and investing and all those kind of things we do in the financial independence movement? Yeah, I I was already pretty frugal. Both me and my wife were frugal from the beginning. You know, we grew up in the I think lower middle class family. So we never had a lot of money when we were kids. So we didn't spend a lot. And that habit kind of stuff. I had to work on the passive income side of it, you know, because in at 36, I didn't really have any passive income. You know, so that part of the equation, I had to work on it a lot. Were you looking at the blog in the beginning as eventual passive income? So when the retired by 40 popped into my head, You know, I went home and I told my wife about it and she was kind of speechless, you know, because she was five months pregnant. 
she didn't want me to stop working, you know, and, uh, but eventually she came on board. You know, I, I made a spreadsheet and calculated the cash flow for her. And at that time, I had to make around $500 extra on the side to make it work. So I kind of counted on the blog to eventually make about $500 a month or some other things to bridge that gap. Yeah, so I always plan on making a little bit of money after I quit working full time. And were you involved with real estate at that time also, or is that something you started planning once you started thinking about retiring at 40? At that time, we had one rental property. It was our old house. We used to live there. And then we moved to downtown, which is closer to my wife's work. And we kept that house and converted it to a rental. So that was the only passive income we had at that time, I think. You mentioned that when you started talking to your wife about this, it kind of, she was a little bit dumbfounded. How long did it take for her to buy into this idea of you retiring? Not that long, you know, because we talked about it and, you know, she knew I was really stressing out at work. So, you know, she wants me to be happier. And once I show her the numbers, she kind of understand. And, you know, I didn't quit right away. So it, it took me couple of years to get everything worked out. And we had a dry run too. So for one year, we just saved all my income. We didn't use any of my income. So I mean, we we were kind of sure that it would work. On the blog, you had mentioned that both your physical and mental health were deteriorating at your job. What did you mean by that? What was happening? You know, I was a computer engineer. I worked on the hardware side of it, you know, so the chips. At first, when I first started working, I liked the job a lot, you know, so I learned a lot and I worked a lot and it, it was fun for a long time, actually, for, for like seven to 10 years, I had a lot of fun, but, you know, then I had a family and I didn't want to spend as much time at work and I became more senior, you know, once you become more senior at my company, the company pressured me to take on more leadership roles and I tried, but I found out that I'm not really good at that kind of thing. <laughs> You know, it it just kept getting more and more stressful. The job wasn't aligned with my value anymore. I I think that the stress just got to me. I had some panic attack and I had a little depression for a while. And, you know, my physical health also deteriorated. It's just not healthy to sit in a chair for eight to 10 hours a day. My back hurt, my shoulder hurt, and my eyes weren't coping too well. You know, by the end of the day, I couldn't read anymore, so... It's interesting as I'm listening to you say this, I think about a lot of the fire enthusiasts who are in technical fields. And I imagine a lot of what you say mirrors what they say, which is that they started with a passion for the actual work, but as they moved up in their companies, because most of us in this movement are fairly diligent people, we found that instead of doing the technical work they enjoyed, they got stuck doing a lot of more managing other people, which wasn't so fun and they didn't enjoy it as much. And I think that's a real common theme for, you know, computer engineers, et cetera, for coders. I think they have some of that same story. When all this happened to you in 2010, where was the fire movement? I mean, we're sitting here today in 2019. We have Playing With Fire, the movie coming out. Obviously, in 2010, not many people had really heard of this landscape or understood it. Were there people you read regularly, blogs, or how did you hear about the financial independence movement back then? I think back then, there really weren't many blogs about early retirement. I think the only one I remember was the ERE, Early Retirement Extreme. I read that one pretty regularly. 
you know, there were a lot of books like uh, Vicky Robbins, Your Money or Your Life. And I read Bernie Zielinski's How to Retire Early While I'm Free and a few other ones. And I think that was it. You know, so Retire by 40 was one of the early ones talking about early retirement. I agree with that. And in fact, you were one of the first blogs that I found while I was looking into financial independence. You know, we hear people talk all the time about Mr. Money Mustache or early retirement extreme, but I heard Jim from Route to Retire recently mention you as one of the first blogs he found. Do you feel like an originator in this space? Yeah, I feel like I'm the first part of the farm movement. And, you know, I actually started before Mr. Money Mustache, I think just a month or something like that. You know, I've never heard you really communicate in any way besides through the blog or social media. Have you avoided podcasts in particular on purpose? Not really. I mean, there were a couple of reasons. You know, when I first started blogging, I was super busy. I was working full time and we had a baby and I was blogging. It was just too much. I couldn't take time during the day to do any kind of podcast or anything. And once I quit working in 2012, I became a full-time dad and we had you know, a baby and turned to taller and I, I still didn't have time to do any kind of interview. Writing was just a, a better medium for me. I could you know, take my time and go and revise it and you know, just post whenever I can. I did a few interviews with national outlets like, uh, like NPR and CBS, but I think they just cut my pieces down to like 10 seconds usually <laughs> or something like that. What about like meetups or get-togethers? Do you ever go to any of the Choose FI meetups in your area? Or have you ever been to a FinCon or a Camp Fi or Camp Mustache? I've been to Camp Fire, I think the first one in the Pacific Northwest, around Seattle. I think, and actually Mr. Money Mustache came to that one too. And I've been to FinCon a couple of times. Whenever it worked out, I tried to go. I mean, locally, that's a lot easier for me. But now... My mom, she has uh, dementia, so and she lives in Thailand. So right now, whenever I have free time, I'll go to Thailand to help out my parents. So I know FinCon for a few years. Speaking of that, tell me how you feel the fire movement has changed. I mean, you were there in 2010 before a fire movement had really started. I hear a lot of people talking about how it doesn't feel like it felt a year or two ago. Do you see things changing? Yeah, I think so. I think a lot of people came on board, you know, and everyone has different kind of idea what fire should look like. And it feels uh, kind of splintered a bit. But you know, I think a lot of people had the wrong idea about fire when they first came in. They figured they'll save up 25x their annual expenditure and then that's it. But you know, I never really advocated that. I always think that you should save up that much at least. I mean, that's the baseline. And then you should still work part-time or figure out some way to make passive income or make a little bit of income. And you know, at our age, 30s or 40s, you know, you're still too young to stop working completely. What would you do then? You'd just be bored if you don't do anything all day. Do you think the FIRE message has become almost too simplistic? that with all the bloggers and content producers out there, that they're making it into a sort of easy button and that it's a lot more complicated than we make it out to be? That's probably one of the problems, you know, because you try to make it catchy to get people to join the movement, right? And then once they join, they find out that it's not that easy. <laughs> then they, some of them get disgruntled or discouraged and 
you know, it's not that simple. Yeah. In fact, I think it was Fritz over at the Retirement Manifesto just put out a post about the idea of, you know, is the FIRE movement hypocritical? And I wonder if, you know, you mentioned people making it sound easy to have people follow the FIRE movement, but the other possibility is people do it to make money. Do you think that there's this issue of some of the FIRE bloggers out there being hypocritical? No one's specific, but this idea of kind of selling something that doesn't exist? I'm not sure, you know, because I personally, I never thought that you should stop working completely. You know, so I always said that you should work a little bit to bring in a little income after you quit your full-time career. But some people come in with a, a different understanding and I guess it's just the way it is. Yeah, I'm wondering if you get some of that criticism, you know, the famed internet police, do they ever come at you and say, hey, you know, you're not really retired by 40 because your wife still works, or you're not really retired by 40 because you make blog income. Do you get those kind of comments? Right, yeah, I do. I mean, I get that, you know, my wife's still working and they said that being a stay-at-home dad isn't retired. There are plenty of stay-at-home moms out there. And, you know, I don't know. Everyone's entitled to their opinion. I just do my own thing and I don't pay attention too much to, to that kind of comments. Where you think the fire movement is going in the future? Specifically, you know, we're also at a place where we're all expecting a big market downturn. Do you think that people are still going to be interested in financial independence, especially if the economics get tougher? I have no idea. I mean, that I think there's still a subset of people that would be interested no matter what. I think in 2010, the market wasn't doing that great either. And some people are interested. I mean, it just depends on your life situation. If your job was really stressful and you want to try something else, you would still want to try it. Do you think the financial independence movement will continue to grow or do you think it's going to level off soon? I think we're pretty peaked out. That's just my opinion. Yeah, Paul, your opinion on that too. I have to admit, I think we're getting close to peak too. I've always figured that once the market hits a downturn, I don't think we'll lose people, but we may level out and not gain as much momentum. Yeah, I'm definitely concerned about that as well. And that's something that I was actually just about to ask. Joe, when the economy shifts, it's not if, but when we know it's going to shift, we're going to lose part of the movement in the fire movement, I think. But that might actually be a good thing. Do you think there is a net benefit to culling the herd and getting back down to the core message when there is this eventual change in the core underlying philosophy that we're riding the markets up and down? Yeah, I think so. I kind of agree. I think it would be better with the people who are really committed to it, you know, because it it seems like people would jump on the bandwagon and then they couldn't really stick with it much. You've been at this for quite a while, right? We said that Retire by 40 started in 2010. You've written, what, thousands of blog posts now? I think a little over a thousand. And what have you learned from all that writing? Mainly, you get better with practice, you know. So writing was never my strong point. My early posts weren't that good at all. Now I'm a lot happier with the quality of my writing. Just practice and you get better at whatever you you try at. Is the process faster than it used to be? No, it's actually longer because <laughs> when I first started, you can write a short, you know, four or 500 word post and those would be fine. And you just bang it out. <laughs> but now they're long and <laughs> just take a lot of time. Yeah, it's much easier when you figure no one's reading, right? The right, more popular right. you get, the harder it gets. 
Yeah, and I think in 2010, the length didn't matter that much. You know, I think now Google likes longer posts. <laughs> That's what I understand. So, Yeah, SEO changes <laughs> from time right. to time. So search engine optimization, if you really want to rank well in the Google rankings, now they're saying that you should be, what, past 800 to 1,000 words at least, I, I believe. Something to that level. So I want to transition a little bit into this idea of financial independence. Paul and I often talk about black swan events, and I like the term white swan events, right? So black swan events are uncommon things, glitches in the market, things that we can't foresee. And I've defined white swan events as bad things that can happen to us economically, but are a little bit more foreseeable. I like to use divorce as one of them. Lots of people get divorced, and that can really change someone's economics quite a bit. You've faced some white swan events. Specifically, you've talked about your mother's health. Do you want to talk a little bit about what she's been going through lately? Yeah. So my mom lived with us part-time for about four years. And in 2018, she kind of developed dementia. So before that, she was forgetful and had some problem. But in 2018, she was diagnosed with dementia. But the good thing is that she had Medicaid. So it didn't really impact our finance much. I mean, it took a lot of time to take her to doctor appointments and various senior services, but I didn't have to spend a lot of money. And when you originally looked into financial independence back in 2010, did you foresee the idea of your mom coming to live with you or even the possibility that she would need medical help? I always kind of assumed that she would live with us part-time. You know, so maybe she would live with us six months out of the year and then live with my brother six months out of the year. You know, having your mom living with you, for my culture, it's not really a big deal. And so I'm from Thailand, and a lot of parents live with their kids. And, you know, it doesn't cost a lot more money for food or that kind of thing. So you found it hasn't added to the bottom line at all? Not much, just a little bit. But now that she has dementia, I mean, eventually it's going to cost quite a bit of money to take care of her you know, because we need to put her into some kind of facility at some point. So talk about ways that you've been trying to deal with that financially. I know you took a recent trip to Asia with her. Is that correct? Right. So last year, we decided to move her to Thailand because, you know, that was probably the best thing for her. Her dementia was getting a little bit worse and she was losing her ability to speak and understand English, you know, because it's her second language. And if she stayed in the U.S., I'm not sure how that would work out if you put her into a care facility here in the U.S. and she couldn't communicate. So we moved her back to Thailand and she's living with my dad right now, and he's taking care of her. And, you know, now she needs pretty much 24-7 supervision. And I don't know, maybe in a year or two, we'll probably need to, to get into a, a facility. But it, it's been kind of tough to find a good facility in Thailand, too. The one I've visited were a little bit disappointing. They were geared toward older people. You know, so there were a lot of bed-bound people in their 80s and 90s. And my mom is kind of young. She's 70 this year. So she needs to be more active. So, I mean, we'll, we'll look around more and try to find a, a good place for her. As a physician and someone who deals with geriatrics quite a bit, I know that Alzheimer's can be difficult emotionally. And it also can be difficult financially. As you look at the future, 
Do you think your financial plan will hold up? Will this affect your financial independence pathway? I don't think so because I have help. You know, so I have two brothers and they're doing pretty well with their finance too. So any kind of cost will split. And from what I understand, you know, like a, a care facility in Thailand would be like around three to $4,000 a month. And that's like the best one you can get. So it, I don't think it will have a huge impact on our finance. I mean, $1,000 a month is not a, a huge deal for us. And how do you think that compares to the United States if she was to stay close to you? How would the cost be different? Actually, it's not uh, not a lot different. I think here in the U.S. it's about 5000 a month. So it's not really saving a lot of money to go to Thailand. But you know, at least there she can communicate and she's closer to her siblings. So it's, it's just better for her. And in retrospect, can you imagine managing your mom's Alzheimer's if you had still had a full-time job? It sounds like you were home and present for a lot of her deterioration. Right. Uh, no, if Sue had a full-time job, I really don't know what we could have done. I guess maybe we needed to hire someone or, or something like that. I'm not sure. Because by the end of last year, she really couldn't stay by herself anymore. So we talk about why people pursue financial independence, but maybe for you, one of the boons of financial independence is you could spend that time with your mom when she needed you. Right, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I think it's an important lesson. We always talk about why financial independence. And that is one of the best reasons I've heard on this podcast so far is to take care of the people you love. And you're part of what we call the sandwich generation. Have you heard that term before? Yeah. This idea of taking care of both parents and kids, you're sandwiched in between. You know, you also are taking care of a young child. How old is your son? Uh, My son is eight now and he's in second grade. So it's been a lot easier since he started school. You know, like previously, I had to spend a lot of time with him. But now that he's in school, I have a lot more time to do various things. Was that also a big reason for leaving your job was to kind of spend those early years with him? Yeah, because at first he was in daycare from six months until a year and a half. And we didn't really like it, you know, because we we missed a lot of the milestone, like his first step and kids were always sick. And we just didn't have a lot of time to spend with him. We dropped him off at seven in the morning. And then we pick him up at six in the evening and spend maybe an hour with him. And then he'll be in bed. So, and he's also now getting to that age where he probably is noticing that dad is a little bit different than maybe some of the other dads of the kids at school. What do you think he thinks of you being retired? Is this something he notices or comments on? Not really, you know, because he sees that I still work, you know, he see me writing and he sees me fixing stuff at the rentals and dealing with tenants. It's not like I'm watching TV all day. So I don't think that's a huge difference. And, you know, and he knows about rental property and you know that the tenant has to pay us rent. I mean, that's a good start. And what do you think you're going to teach him about financial independence? Yeah, I mean, eventually we would talk about it more, you know, about passive income. And you know, I think mainly... I would try to tell him to go to college and try to find something he's interested in, you know, and, um, and but also keep in mind the, the option of retiring early and financial independence. It just gives you a lot more choices. And one of my favorite questions is, 
What are you going to tell them about the importance of college? Do you still think it's as important as we used to think it was 10 years ago? Do you still have to shoot for the stars or can you go to a college that's good enough and that's fine? I think you, you should you know, try to get to the best college you can get into, but you know, also keep an option of the other colleges too. It's still really important for me that you go to college, but I think the choice of college isn't as important. So I'm curious because I'd like to ask a little bit more about that. Uh, you say it's important to go to college. What is your basis and your reasoning behind going to college? I think in the future, it's just going to be tough to find a professional job. And the, the college degree gives you the minimal you need to get a professional job these days. And, you know, I've had good experience in college and I had a good job for a long time. And that's the base of my financial independence. You know, I mean, you could do it other ways too, but I think it's much harder without a college degree. Let's transition a little bit to the future. Would there be anything that would make you want to go back to work in engineering? No, not in engineering. Even the technical stuff aren't interesting to me anymore. Any paid work in the future, you think? Maybe if, if it's the right kind of work and I can work part-time, you know, maybe like 20 hours a week. It just depends. I mean, if there's something interesting, I would consider going back to work. I don't know if anyone would hire me, though. Yeah, it's one of those problems. I face that as a doctor, too. The farther and farther you get from working professionally, the harder it is to go back, not just technically, but emotionally, too, right? Because we're not used to having people tell us what to do anymore. Right, exactly. Yeah, now I can do things at my own pace, and it's just so much easier for me. You retired early and you are still doing a blog, one of the questions that I get or comments that I hear a lot is you kind of quit your contribution to society too early. What are your thoughts on that? And do you feel like you're still contributing to society by writing the blog? I think I'm still contributing to society by through my blog. And, you know, I can hear that when I get occasional email from the readers, you know, and they tell me that I help their finance. And I think that's really helpful. You know, personal finance education is really bad in the U.S. Everyone has to figure it out for themselves. And I think all of us are doing our part in helping everybody else. And, you know, for the technical stuff, the, the younger guys are all better than me anyway. <laughs> Yes, my son now has to fix all my electronics for me and program my iPhone and help me when the computer doesn't work. So it's not just the younger guys, it's the kids who actually now <laughs> right, are, right. are better maybe than the rest of us. And your wife is still working, is that correct? That's correct, yeah. She still likes her job, but you know, there's been grumbling lately with some management change and that kind of thing. So I'm not sure. Do you see your life changing a lot if she were to decide to retire? No, I don't think our, our lifestyle would change much. We, we live pretty modestly right now, so I don't think we need to cut back or anything. Any dreams of slow travel? I know the problem I have at least two is once your kids are in school, it becomes harder. But uh, is that on your horizon? Once our kid is off on his own, yeah, then we'll, we'll travel more. But right now, you just really can't do much. I mean, we can go for three or four weeks. You know, our last time we went to Thailand, we went for five weeks and he missed a couple of weeks of school. I and mean, that's okay at second grade, but I don't think we can get away with that when he's a little bit older. Yeah, my son starts high school soon and uh, we used to right. pull him out for a week or two here and there, but that's getting progressively harder and harder. Certainly we won't be doing that next year. 
So let's talk about the blog a little bit. Are there things your audience doesn't know about you, things that maybe they'd be surprised by? I'm not sure. I've been pretty transparent on my blog, so I think most of my readers already know pretty much everything about me. But if you're not a reader, maybe you don't know that my parents used to own a small Thai restaurant. And I worked there in high school. You know, that's where I learned how to cook Thai food and prep and wash dishes really quickly. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, I look at your blog and then I go over to Mr. Taco's blog and I'm almost always hungry by the time I'm done reading both of your blogs. And I've noticed that, yeah, some of the bloggers and food becomes a predominant thing that they at least touch on their blogging. Has your cooking skills gotten better since financial independence, since you've retired? I think so, you know, because previously I didn't have much time to experiment. So I usually just stick with what I knew how to cook, which I'm which is mostly Thai food. Now I try different things. And, you know, since I retired, I learned how to make pizza and, you know, various different kind of things. So one thing I think we're lacking in this community sometimes is proof of concept, right? So we have all these bloggers and podcasters who've been working at financial independence for two years or three years, but they haven't seen a major market downturn or they haven't been doing it for long enough for us to really buy into the concept. You now have been retired since 2010. Have the economic fears disappeared for you? Do you still worry about things like sequence of returns risk when it comes to your own finances? Actually, I retired in 2012. So it's been about seven years. I'm not really worried about that anymore because our investment grew quite a bit over the last seven years. And our expense is pretty stable now. I mean, I mean, it went up and down in the beginning because we cut way back when I first retired, but now it's kind of back to a level where I think it can be sustained. So, you know, from what I understand, from my point of view, I think if we can maintain our expense at this level, we should be okay. So this idea of saving up a certain amount and stopping work, it holds then. You can do this for decades. This is a safe thing to do. Well, I, I still kept blogging and I made money in other ways. So I think that works. But I don't know if you can just stop working completely and just draw down 4%. I doubt that would work. So the 4% rule for you would not be something you... And, and you said this earlier, but the 4% rule on its own, standing alone, would not be something you suggest to your readers. No, I, yeah, I wouldn't trust it because I think it's a baseline you have to get to and then you have to be flexible and figure it out for yourself. So I'm curious, when you retired and you had these other sources of income, the blog and the real estate, were those sources of income meeting your living expenses or or did you have to draw down any at all from your investments in order to fund your lifestyle or was it always completely covered by your other cash flows? It was covered by the other cash flow by the time I, I retired in 2012. So, you know, passive income plus blogging that, that covered it. And then on top of that, you also had a nice little nest egg that you've been saving up that made you comfortable to be able to retire, right? Right. And my wife is still working too. Right. So we're pretty comfortable. So now I'm trying to get to the point where passive income will cover all of our cost of living. I mean, at some point I'm going to stop blogging. <laughs> So, I mean, that's going to go away. So if for some reason you had to stop blogging soon, would you then start looking for other forms of passive income to make up that shortfall? We're we're really close. So I don't know. We just have to see what happens. 
I think in in five years we would have a comfortable margin from passive income to、uh, cost of living. It's interesting because you know, in a lot of ways, I know I personally am stuck in the accumulation phase. I just feel good when I know that I'm continuing to accumulate, or at least. Not in the deaccumulation phase. Do you think you're going to try to avoid that as long as possible? In other words, continuing those passive streams, but never going after the principal. Yeah, that's the best way to go if you can. But I think it's really hard to get enough passive income to do that. I mean, I think the four percent rule would work if you're, you know, like fifty-five or sixty when you're a little bit older. But I'm not sure if you know if you're in your thirties, if it's going to work for that long. And you kind of mentioned at some point stopping blogging. Do you care to comment on that idea? Do you think that's something that may happen in the near future, or as things go right now, you'll probably continue for quite a while? I'm kind of in the groove right now, so everything is is set up. You know, the blogging is on my schedule, and I think it'll continue for a while as long as my son is still in school. I mean, once he's done with high school. Which is ten more years from now, and you know, we we could travel more and do other stuff. And I think by then my wife would be retired for sure too. You know, and then probably wouldn't blog as much if at all. Do you ever worry that you'll run out of things to say? Oh,、uh, it hasn't happened yet, but I probably repeat myself once in a while. Do you think there are any more fincons in your future, or any of the camps, any meetups, things coming up in the future? If there's something local, I would try to make it, but FinCon probably not for a few years. As I mentioned before, I'm gonna go to Thailand to help out my parents. I mean, dementia it doesn't get better. Do you think Thailand will be your ultimate destination eventually? Yeah, I think eventually we plan to live in Thailand part time, so maybe six months out of the year for a while, at least until we get、uh, Medicare, I guess, or I don't know. We'll see. But there are other places we want to go to, like South America. On a different topic, you guys moved recently, is that right? Right, we moved from our condo to rental duplex. So one of our tenant moved out, and we moved in. And so, in a sense, you guys have downsized. It's about the same size as our condo, so about thousand square feet for three people. I mean, that's a little tight, but it's not too bad. I mean, once our son is a little bit bigger. Then we probably would take over both units. I was wondering if you ever get flack from your family and friends, retired by forty but living in a thousand square feet. Do they ever give you flack for that one? Not really, because they don't come visit us anyway, <laughs> so it's not a big deal. Do your family and friends and neighbors kind of know like what you're doing? So, as I was mentioning, I at least feel like you're one of the originators of this movement. So, within this echo chamber, people know who Retire by Forty is. But in your real life world, outside of the blogosphere, do you talk about this stuff to them, or is it just kind of one of those things you do? Yeah, my friends and neighbors know that I blog. And even my tenants find out somehow. Even if I didn't tell them, they kind of find out for some reason. Yeah, I was about to say. So you're in no way anonymous, right? Your name is on the blog as well right, as your、right. picture, etc. Did you ever consider being anonymous in the beginning? I think for just a few months, I didn't put my picture up. You know, it it wasn't a big deal to me. Did you ever have concerns about being open with your finances in such a public forum? Somewhat, but you know, people don't know where I live. And then I don't think I ever got really that big, so I don't think people are stalking me or anything. 
Yeah. The other thing is, is family and friends can also look at your finances, which can be uncomfortable. Sometimes at family get togethers, you ever have a family member or friend say, Hey, I, you know, saw that on the blog and maybe embarrassed you or surprised you? No, not really. I don't think they read that often. You know, so they, they don't pay attention that much to my blog. Joe, I'd always like to give everybody a chance to let them know where to find you if they haven't heard of you before. I've been following you for a long time. You have a really good Instagram feed, as I already know. There's a lot of food that I guess you prepare or and then there's some of your trips. So if you want to right. see what he's into, you know, the kind of chef work he has, you can see it on Instagram. Where else can we find you, Joe? You can find me at my blog, Retired by 40. You know, so if you just search on Google, you'll find that. And what is up next for you? So we've been talking and kind of drilling you with a lot of questions. What would you like to leave with the listener who might potentially be drawn to the message of being able to retire by a certain age? My main message is that everyone has to find their own path for early retirement. You can't just follow my path exactly. Everyone's situation is different. You just have to be flexible and figure it out for yourself. One other thing, Joe, is I've looked at some of your income and goals reports, and almost every year since I've been reading, you've been talking about joining one of those speakers associations where they teach you how to speak. Have you done that yet? No, unfortunately. I mean, the timing has always been kind of wrong. You know, I went last year to Toastmaster. That group was okay, but you know, my mom's condition got worse, so I couldn't really leave her alone. And it's just been too busy. You know, that's really an excuse. Yeah. And do they just kind of teach you how to get up and talk extemporaneously or how to give a speech or what do they do? Yeah, it's, I think it's mostly just practice. You know, so they have a, a good environment where they give you good feedback on how to improve public speaking. So, you know, and give you a lot of practice. And my wife has been a member for a long time. You getting ready for the Retire by 40 podcast? I don't know. I mean, I, I still don't think podcast is a good medium for me. I feel like uh, writing better, but maybe I would do a YouTube channel. Or the book tour, you know, that's the next thing that, you know, you've been in the space long enough. Have people approached you to write a book? Yeah, but it just seems too daunting for me. And I don't think you really make much money writing a book or anything. So I'm not sure if it's worth the time that you put in. I mean, it's good. You know, it builds your brand, I guess. Yeah. Writing a book sounds terrifyingly difficult to me. I've written books, but they've been more collections of blog posts and other things I've done. But to start at zero and write a book, I know Paul just did that, but that sounds like a terrifyingly large project. Right. And it sounds like you have to do a ton of publicity work afterward. Yeah. And I think that's big too. Like people don't realize that you can write a book, but no one will read it unless you market it. And nowadays, even if you have a publisher, that does not mean that they are going to go out and market it for you. A lot of it is now based on social and then setting up your own book tours and making a lot of contacts yourself. It's a lot different, I think, than the traditional thought of, oh, just find a publisher and they'll do everything for you. Right. And I can't do any kind of book tour (laughs) right now. So Yeah, that's not going to happen, huh? All right. Well, this has been the What's Up Next podcast. On behalf of myself, Doc G, and my co-host, Paul Thompson, we wanted to thank Joe Udo from Retire by 40. That's a wrap. Excuse me, let me get rid of our cat here. got to feed the cat. (laughs) (laughs) Damn, pets. Sorry about that. got to feed the cat, right? Yeah. 
you know, my neighbor said, uh, when I told her that I have a blog called Retire by 40, she made a comment. She said, I'll oh, retire by 40, back to work by 50. You know? <laughs> so, like, okay. So this has been a real shitty week. I mean, obviously, all the things going on in our country right now, it's been really difficult to concentrate on personal finances or just on what we've talked about on the podcast in general. I don't think the podcast is a place to talk about what's going on in the world right now, but I did want to drop a little message about what's going on. I think there's a lot of explaining we need to do to people of color in our community, and I don't think there's any really easy way to do it. So here's what I think. Number one, anyone who says this is not happening who says that racism is not a problem in America today, I don't even think we can have a conversation. Like all you have to do is look at the last week or two when a man is killed when he goes out for a jog, when a bird watcher has the police called on him, when someone is arrested and is killed by having someone kneel on their neck with their knee for eight minutes when they're not fighting back. I don't know how you can look at these incidents and say that we don't have a problem here in the United States. I don't even know how we can have that conversation. And these are just the things that we see in this last week or two. These are just the things that have been recorded. Can you imagine how much has gone on in the last year that no one has caught on camera? How many people have been abused but haven't died and have been too afraid to say something or didn't have any video evidence to say that this is not happening. It's just gaslighting. And we can't do that anymore. It's clearly happening. And it's been happening for decades, even centuries. And it isn't getting better. Number two, If I'm going to speak for society or speak for non-people of color, the one thing I'm not going to do is I'm not going to say sorry. Why? Because when you say sorry, you're almost saying like, oh, man, look, I noticed I did something wrong. I now realize I did something wrong, and I'm going to change my behavior because of it. When you say you're sorry, you're actually saying I'm going to take action in the future not to make the same mistake again. And I think it's just disingenuous to do that right now because we keep on making the same mistakes as a society over and over and over again. Forget saying sorry. How about we make a difference? How about we stop doing this crazy bullshit that we are doing to people of color in our society? To say you're sorry is pandering. It's disingenuous And I only think we have the right to say sorry when we're actually willing to take action to make things better. Then we can say we're sorry, and then we need to do something about it. And we have not done anything about this. When you look at the last few weeks, when you look at the coronavirus pandemic and realize that who is paying the brunt of the price, it's people of color, you realize that saying sorry is just words and we haven't been willing to take the actions to make things better. So number three, what can people like me do about this? And I think that's a really difficult question. Of course, I can support 
of course I can protest. Of course, I can use my intellectual power, my platform, and my money to support causes I believe in. None of that has made a difference yet. So I guess what I mostly want to say to people of color in my community is, I see you. Like when you're being a good spouse or a good parent, I see you. And I think about how difficult it is for me to do those things and then realize for you that there's a whole nother layer of systemic, emotional, psychological, and financial hurdles that you have to deal with above and beyond just the plain old difficulty of being a good parent and spouse. When you go to college and then medical school and become a doctor, I see you because I remember how hard it was to work 36 hours in a row. I remember the emotional and physical drain. I remember how becoming a physician almost killed me. And I see that you had to do all those same things. Yet when you walked into the room, sometimes patients didn't want to see you because you were black. Or sometimes people called you nurse or thought you were a technician. And you had been up for 30 hours and all you wanted to do was learn your trade and help these poor people get better. I see you. I see you when you create and own a business or build a platform that's so much more successful than mine. And I realize all the hurdles you must have faced to get there that probably I didn't. So I don't have much to give. I guess I have my emulation. The most important thing I have is I look at what you've done and I try to emulate you. I honor you. And I see how our society has benefited from people of color. I see the knowledge and the culture and the music and the food, and the countless things that enrich my life because you are here. I see you. And and I refuse to look away. I refuse not to see the shitty things we as a society have done to you financially, physically, legally, I refuse to turn my head, although it's hard, although it's painful, because no matter how hard or painful it is for me, I can't even imagine what it feels like for you. Tech moves fast, so keep pace with the Daily Crunch podcast from TechCrunch. With new episodes every day, this podcast will give you a quick overview on everything you need and should know about startups, new tech, regulations, and more. Listen to TechCrunch Daily Crunch now, wherever you get your podcasts. That's TechCrunch Daily Crunch, wherever you get your podcasts. You care about your money. Of course you do. So why aren't you listening to SoFi Daily? This podcast will keep you updated on the latest news in the stock market and how it could impact your financial life. Stay on top of what's happening. Listen to SoFi Daily, wherever you get your podcasts. That's SoFi Daily, wherever you get your podcasts.